Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've bitten a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep Country Israel. Joel O'Connor, Dennis Dick with you. We got a busy morning here, a lot going on. Big story, of course, uh, Apple warning last night that the coronavirus will impact their uh, guidance for or their earnings for the quarter. And that is sort of setting shockwaves throughout the market here. And we're going to talk about the reaction to that and what that says about the overall market and what other companies may do going forward. Uh, that's just one headline here from Apple. We have earnings from Walmart as well. We've got some an interesting M&A deal to discuss. And two guests are joining us today. Our first guest will be at 8.35. He is Eric Kroll, the founder of Kroll Asset Management. And then at 9.00, We'll be joined by Steve Ehrlich. He is the CEO of Voyager, a cryptocurrency investing platform. So a lot going on the show today. Joel, what's going on here in the overnight session? Uh, Red here. We're down 15 and a quarter handles. Uh, your high was made on Sunday night at 92.50, 33.92.50. That is your all-time high. That's a big target on the upside. Your pre-market low comes in at 61 and a quarter. I'm not going to really panic yet until we take out 33.50. That was Thursday's low, and that was the area of a couple lows and a couple closes from last week. Uh, crude, uh, not like in the markets today, down 82 cents at 51.23. Gold in the green by 350 at 1589.90. Silver going up as well, up 12.1 cents at 17.855. And Bitcoin doesn't go up over to the three-day weekend. It goes down. Uh, the futures are trading down $775 at $9,720. Let's in, uh, bring in Triple D following the markets uh, over the weekend. And I must say you must not be surprised that Apple warned. I think he's on mute. My bad. He's not saying anything yet. Well, he's on mute. Let me unmute him. He muted me. Spencer Sorry. doesn't like me to talk. <laughs> I'm off mute. I'm off mute. Yeah, I mean, it, the rating was on the wall here. We heard Nike warn. We heard, you know, obviously the cruise lines both warned, which was expected. But you know how many how many of the parts comes from over there. So, I mean, this is not shocking at all. I sarcastically tweeted that right after the warning there, you know, last night, saying, "Oh, shocking that Apple warns." Obviously, I'm still long Apple in my long-term portfolio. I'm sticking with it. Uh, but this is not shocking at all. Um, it, I'm actually shocked it's down eight bucks just because this market just seems to buy everything back. With it, but with that being said, I think we're significantly off the lows already. So in normal markets, an Apple warning would bring down the entire market significantly, especially the tech sector. We are down significantly, so it is doing something. Um, I think if we were in normalized markets, the markets would be down a lot more. But the way this market is, it's so hard to come in here and say, okay, I'm going to short Apple here now. Because, you know, it's breaking down on this bad news. I mean, every time you've shorted stocks in the hole here, you've been punished for it. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, 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 it's tough to short stocks. Yeah, I don't know. You know, we're down 13 handles or 14 handles. So, yeah, it's a sell-off. But pretty, pretty resilient market even in the face, you know, of an Apple warning. Uh, action, they took it right down. I mean, if you're looking for the reaction low, it was right off that. Uh, 4 a.m. open. They pounded it down to 310.06. 
So the buy the well, dip- buy the dippers are already in. Yeah. Also buy the dippers and like I got lucky on my short on the weekend uh, buyers, right? I mean, when are you going to have Apple open up down what seven eight bucks? So or even more than that. So I think you got that. I don't know if it's new buyers coming into the market. Well, keep an eye right here, 317. We've been creeping up. So what we do in this situation, we keep an eye on what the rebound high is. And we are rebounding right now, 1739 as the high. Let's see if we can get to the bottom of yesterday's range. 323, 2285, low on Thursday, 2335, low on one Friday, one Thursday. The Monday day is screwing up me. So major resistance. We get this to see at 323. I think you see all kinds of offers. I don't think we're going there today. I don't think we're getting it all back. I mean, logic would say this should sell off. But again, this market hasn't traded on logic in a long time. So, you know, to come in here and try to make a call on Apple trading down sure. eight, I'm not fighting the buy the dippers. And like you said, it was down to three tenths. So the buy the dippers have already come in. I mean, we're getting analyst commentary coming in. I just saw it go by my screen here. Barrett saying it's a buying opportunity. So already, you know, you got the, uh, the analyst coming in here saying, oh, buy the dip always works. So one day it's not going to work, folks. I mean, one day buy the dip is not going to work. I don't know when that day is, but you know, we've been doing this show for six years and I mean, buy the dip has always worked. You, you know what I think about the coronavirus. I mean, if you've ever, you know, if you've been listening to the show here for the last few weeks, you know, I'm very scared about it. You know, I've hedged some of my long-term portfolio, but I'm still here trading the markets from the long side because until we see a significant technical break here, um, this market just doesn't seem to care, Educational shocking, but it just doesn't. Educational moment here for uh, Daniel Manahan. Can he, is not getting the pre-market trading at 4 a.m. Not all brokers offer it, number one. So you got to just call up your broker, check with your broker. I guess TD doesn't. Uh, Most um, of your online brokers don't come on until 7. But but on pre-market starts at 4. So if you're trading on ARCA or NASDAQ, NSDQ, you can trade at 4 in the morning. Um, Interactive Brokers gives you 4 in the morning. Um, there's, a, there's a few brokers that do do it. A lot, you know, and I think TD, I think TD Ameritrade does because they do around the clock. So, um, you know, whether they're doing throwing the markets directly in orders directly into the market, I don't know or not. But there is the retail brokers are moving towards it, but a lot are still just 7 a.m. They don't start till 7 a.m. Their pre-market session. That's not, you know. So if you think the pre-market session starts at seven, you're wrong. It actually starts at four. I've traded the pre-market for 20, you know, 20 years, um, 15 years at least. You know, and four o'clock it started at. Um, for for a long time, Arca Nasdaq come online at four, and it might be a account size thing too. You know, oh, well, could be. Yeah, every yeah. broker has different rules, so it yep. depends broker so to broker. Oh, you're a broker, and they, they ask them be. about it. And yep. If they don't have it, ask them why. You know, why do you know other online brokers I trade at four a.m. One thing though, I'll tell you, if you're trading at four a.m., it's a different animal. There's no liquidity in stocks. Don't just be going in there and paying anything for a stock price. You could really be out to lunch. It's more from a professional standpoint. You're looking at 4 a.m. as opportunities for inefficiencies. So, you know, somebody that's putting an order out there that doesn't know what they're doing. That's where you, you better be educated if you're trading at four in the morning. So, because uh, there's, you know, there's people, you know, who just come in and say, oh, it's bad news. And they sell something down 20 points, opens down 10 while you threw away 10 points. So it's tricky. You know, price discovery, I've traded price discovery. You know, basically when I say price discovery is I participate in the headlines, headlines break. I think a stock should go down 3%. It's only down 1%. I'll short it. So, you know, all depending on what, you know, my analysis, you know, obviously says. So 
there's lots of opportunity in, in the pre-market if you know what you're doing, if you've got those quantitative edges. But if you're just coming in there, just randomly buying and selling stocks without having the education beforehand, I think you can lose a lot of money trading the pre-market. All right, 809. And uh, so something to consider, just if I can go back to Apple for a second here. Sure. Consider, so Dennis, you mentioned that a few other companies had warned not, they didn't warn in the same way. They had they had said on their conference calls that yes, this will impact their uh, their business, but they didn't they didn't come out and say on on top of that that this is going to change things. It was it was in relation to their earnings calls. They were already giving public statements. Uh, I Apple, mean, RCL, yeah, RCL and CCL did warn. Okay, so that's okay, a different fine, story. Fine, fine, fine. But, but Nike, uh, yeah, you're talking uh, about Nike. Good. That was you know actually Nike was a flat out warning too, okay. wasn't it? Well, I just gave you three examples, okay. so not everybody. <laughs> here, here, here's my main point. Apple yeah. coming out and warning gives everyone else permission to do the same. So it wouldn't wouldn't it yeah. would it surprise you if you get no. three, four, five, ten more big companies in the next few days we, doing the exact same thing? We have been calling for this on this show. This is the main reason where I was saying I, I you know I've given this argument probably I feel like a dozen times, saying that even if the virus stays over in China. Eventually, it's got to hit the supply chains. Eventually, it's got to hit the global economy because China's basically shut down. So, you know, yes, it's starting to come back online. Yes, there's some people going back to work. But I'm hearing like 25% of people are only back to work here. You know, there's 800, people, 800 million people under quarantine. You know, you think about that. How many people live in China? I don't know, a couple of beds. Half the country is under quarantine. Well, it's like something like a one-ninth or one-tenth of the world, right? Yeah. So, but when you're talking 800 million people under quarantine, and the market's making new all-time highs. It's the most irrational market I've ever seen in my life. It is not trading on logic. It is not trading on fear. The only fear it trades on is the fear of missing out. Uh, but, you know, I've been trying to play the short side on this market a few times, and I've been burned so, you know, off of the coronavirus. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll buy my puts on my long-term portfolio. I'm going to play it long. You know, the, the play almost is like bought. The insurance is so bloody cheap. You know, when it's down there looking out, I was almost wondering if the play isn't just to buy a whole pile of spy and hedge it all with puts going out three, five months. And, you know, if, if, if this turns into nothing, the spy's probably going to rip a lot more than 3%. If it turns into something, well, you lose 3%. So, and if you really turn it into something, then the play is just to buy flat out puts. So, but the options, I just think, are not pricing in any of this. Because I, I think if this turns into nothing, I think we're really going to rip higher. I don't think it's going to turn into nothing. I think it's going to turn into something, which is why I'm not, you know, just, which is why I just flat out own puts. I think eventually... The market is going to care about this. They care about Apple. Okay, a Apple warns, but they're already buying it back. It's off seven points off the lows. I mean, so this market just shrugs us off, shrugs us off. I don't know when that changes. I don't know when the sentiment changes. I think eventually it does, though, because I don't think this is going away. Everybody's saying this is a one-quarter problem. Let's just analyze it. You know, there's 800 million people still under quarantine. You know, we don't even know how this virus, we don't know anything about this virus, really. You know, we know it's very contagious. We don't know the death rates. The mortality death rate that they're calculating from the, the media is just dumb. Guggenheim came out, you know, with a report, and I completely agree with that. Um, you can't just calculate, you know, okay, we have, the expect, we have how many cases, and then here's the deaths, and we just divide those two. Because people aren't dying on the first day that they're diagnosed. They're dying on the 10th day or the 15th day they're diagnosed. So you got to almost go back, look to 10 days ago, the case numbers, and then analyze it from that perspective. And that'll give you a completely different number. I really believe the fatality rate is going to come out at 8 or 10%, like SARS did, when it's all said and done. SARS was the same thing. When they were doing the SARS and it was going on, they were saying, oh, the SARS death rate's 1% to 2%, because it's a stupid way they calculate it, you know, that they're taking the current caseload divided by the deaths. You can't just, you know, a person gets diagnosed on day one, they're not dying on day one. 
So you got to look at least back eight to 10 days. And you know, what is a better way to look at it is look at the recoveries to the death. And the recoveries to the death is a scary number. When Guggenheim calculated that in their report, they came out with 18%. So that's a hell of a lot more scary than one to 2%. I think it's significantly higher than one to 2%. Q1, Dennis, Q1. I mean, that's what, you know, everyone's reporting the Q4. They're talking about the Q1 number. That's all they care is one quarter. What I'm trying to say though, that's what the market. So the market thinks it's a Q1 problem. I think it's bigger than a Q1 problem. I think it's going to be a problem that's going to persist. I don't think this is going away. You listen to the CDC director over the weekend. This is something that could just be with us forever. We can't maybe not quarantine it. So we'll just have to get our vaccines. And once they get the vaccine, problems will start to go away. If you get vaccinated for it, you're not going to get the bloody thing. But until you know the vaccination, we know is probably six to 12 months away at least. So this is not like a little thing. This is not like shrug it off SARS. But anyways, the market, you, you, as a trader, you have to trade what's in front of you. Market doesn't care right now. So I'm not That's going right. here and shorting flat out stocks. because I'm going to keep getting burned. So I buy puts on the long-term portfolio and I trade it from the long side right now. That's, you know, just like the, the other day, I was buying the cruise lines when they're pulling back on the, on the ridiculous news. I never do that in normal markets, but this is not normal markets. I don't know if it's being propped up by the national team of China. I don't know if it's just crazy people who aren't reading the headlines. Maybe that's what it is too. But for whatever reason, the market doesn't care. So it's hard to get all full-on bearish the markets until the market starts to care. I don't know what that turning point is, the tipping point is. I do believe there's going to be a time where this market is going to start to care. And that's why I own puts. All right. Franklin Resources doesn't care about the coronavirus. They're, they're going out and making an acquisition here. There you go. A pretty big one. Tell us about it, Spencer. Yep, Franklin Resources, ticker BEN, acquiring Leg Mason, ticker LM, for $50 a share. And it's interesting because Frank uh, Leg Mason actually has more assets under management than Franklin Templeton does. But nonetheless, Franklin Templeton, the buyer, and Leg Mason, uh, the, uh, the buyee, I guess. Uh, Bob, $50 a share is your bogey here. Trading right there right now, 50-20. Yeah. They like some synergies here. Dennis will do his percentage of market cap for Ben for this acquisition. And uh, from what I'm seeing on the screen right now. Well, it's a cash deal though, right? Yes. Yep. Okay, so cash deals trade differently. So obviously, Lake Mason doesn't even matter. It trades up to the cash price minus a discount that the risk arbs think it might go through it, not go through. But what risk arbs do in a stock deal is they often hit the acquirer more because you're, you're, you've, you've got good. to work the two stocks. So that's what puts natural pressure. When you got an all stock deal, it'll put more pressure on the acquirer than a cash deal. With that being said, this market's just buy, 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 and they'll say, oh, synergies here, and they find a reason to buy them both. So Ben's up 12%. How do you argue with this market? I mean, like, like I said, you know, I'm scared of the virus. I'm nervous for the long-term stuff, but I'm not, I'm not coming out here short in anything. Well, well, maybe if you looked at this uh, uh, Franklin Resources chart, you might. Uh, okay, let's go look at it. <laughs> There's got to be some- mackerel. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> I with you, what a gift. What a gift. This thing's going to trade up 12% here on this. The stock has been in the gutter. It's getting half of its losses back from last year. Yeah, you know what? If I was long this thing, I'd sell the hell of it. I don't know if I, 28 bucks, we'll call it, you know, just from a technical basis, but I think it's a gift. 
I mean, anyone that's just bought over the, you know, in 2020, boom, all of a sudden, 27 bucks. Everyone that bought the year is in the green here. Uh, we'll take a look at the pre-market high. They took this up to 27.87. Uh, Dennis called the $28 level. I'll just use that. Let's see, a couple highs at 28.2 right there. 28 even, 795, 799, 786, and 779. So this thing gets through 28 bucks today. Oh, they'll have to get through quite a few offers. There, there's definitely. I, I think there's definitely overhead supply here. Where it comes in is always a question. Yep. This up 12, 13% on synergies from the deal seems like nonsense to me. But again, trading on logic in this market has proven to be very tough. I mean, also, if you've had a stock that's uh, peaked in 2015 and makes a new low of the, you know, a horrible relative performance, and now you're going to come out and make an acquisition. Buy the hell out of it because they're spending a pile of money to buy in a, yeah, a company. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I'll be at all. firing people right and left and trimming staff and closing offices. They'll be working for the stocks, so. though. <laughs> <laughs> the market's applauding it, Joel. Okay. Well, well yeah, because there there are real life synergies here. There is the entire space for sure. Struggle to uh, adapt to this no uh, this this zero free, zero fee passive investing environment. Yes. Right? So it's hard. It's hard out there. And this is the second acquisition within what four or five months in the brokerage space consolidation in the brokerage space here. So I don't know. I don't know who's next, but. Uh, We'll see. Both trading I mean, up. It's, it's hard out there to be an active manager. So uh, I can't, can't blame Really them. tough. Can't blame them for that. Let's just mention we're talking brokers and banks and stuff. Let's just give folks the HSBC news. Uh, a lot of headlines at HSBC this morning. More or less just restructuring. They are uh, cutting jobs, about 35,000 jobs. Uh, and about $100 billion in assets over the next three years. They're suspending their buyback program, uh, and just a lot of rework happening at, at HSBC going on there. Not not great. Not a great day to be. That's oh, a mess. It's down significantly. Again, remember this trades overseas, so price discovery is already happening here. But the stock's going to go from basically you know the t higher end of the range here. I mean, it's been a hell of a run here in February for this stock. And it's going to give it all back in one day. So you do have good support around that 36. That's where you bought in December. That's where you bought them in yep. February. Uh, but I'm not jumping in. Now, uh, giving back all those gains, but uh, you did. You came down in February, uh, 36.03. You came down in December right to the same area, 36.31. The only thing here, though, is you're not really bouncing. I mean, here you are. I mean, if 36 gives way, get out of the way because that's also been monthly support uh, going back to, what, 2000 and, you know, early last year. So look at your monthlies there, folks. You're, you're banging on a big, big level. Do not want to lose 36 in HSBC. All right. Other well, news. Should, yeah. we, should, we go, should we go to Buffett on Friday night? So I know it yep. feels like a long yeah. time ago with the holiday, but. We had the 13 Fs come out, and we did get some new positions for Buffett, and they were rocking this morning. Yeah, so interesting uh, of his new positions, two of them were ETFs. I believe those are the first ETFs he's ever bought. He bought Spy, yeah. he bought Spy and he bought VOO, VOO. Yeah. Uh, and they're very, very small. So they're, so they're not notable for their, for their size, but they're notable for the fact that they happened. 
So interesting that those just all... trade with the with the components, so that's not going to move at all. But no, no, right. But it's just interesting that Buffett bought two ETFs. Anyway, yep. uh, the the big the bigger uh, names that he bought last quarter, I should say, the most notable new stakes uh, are uh, Kroger and Biogen. He yep. has new stakes in both of those companies, um, and he trimmed his stakes in Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, Bank America, American Airlines, and. There's one more, I believe, it was Travelers. Mm -hmm. Raise the stakes in RH. You'll see RH rip in here yep. this morning for wondering Ooh. why. It's Buffett. He raised his stake there, and then he also raised his stakes in Oxy, OXY. I had the other ones written down. Was there other ones that he raised? His yeah, stake I had them written down, and now I can't find where it was. No, no, I can't find it either. That's going for my memory <laughs> here. So if there's any other raised stakes, let me know. But the RH was ripping too. Let's go. So Kroger Biogen. I still have Biogen in the long term portfolio. Obviously, that's still the Alzheimer's drug is going to be the mover. We're supposed to get it sometime this quarter, that data, whether it's going to get approved or, or, or not. Like I said, if it doesn't get approved, it probably loses 80 bucks to 100 bucks. If it gets approved, it could go up two to 300. I don't think it's going to get approved, but I'm still long it just because I've been long this thing forever and I don't plan on selling it anytime soon. Um, but Buffett is obviously coming in here. Maybe he's got, maybe he's got inside scoop. Maybe he thinks it's going to get approved. I'm, I don't think more. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> he don't care either. He's going long term. That was a joke, by the way. Okay. Uh, what about the Krogers? I like Kroger. You, you know I, what? You know what I want to say is I hadn't been in a Kroger in a long time. And I went to one, I don't know, a month or two ago. I was like, these stores are nice. I'm like, they've done like, they, this feels like a Walmart or a Myers. I'm like, I don't know if they're all like this, but I was like, wow. They're not. They're, I can confirm that they're not all like that. I don't know if they're all going to go. This was the one out there. Uh, it's near like 14 mile, Joel. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Anyways, it's like one of the Kroger superstores. And I'm like, it's nice. 14 and uh, there what? There was some deals in there. What's that? 14 and what? I don't know. If it, no, near 14 mile. I mean, it may be 13 mile. It's right there off the off 75. There's the service road there. And if you go to this Costco over there, it's like right across the road from like the Costco. Okay. Anyways, big road. Re anyways, regardless. Go. That's a nice store. I don't know if they're all going to be like that eventually, but I was like, if they all turn into this, this could be like a real turnaround story. Buffett, obviously, maybe it's, you know, I don't know if this was his position or if it was one of his understudies that actually bought this, but obviously he believes in a turnaround story here too. Uh, I, just because I was in those stores, I'm like, you know what? I've been a Kroger bear before and I'm not sure I'm on the Kroger bear train anymore. I've also lost a lot of money trying to fade Warren Buffett. So I know you think it's up 6%. What a gift. But I'll tell you, sometimes there's follow through on those Buffett you know, from those 13 Fs. When Buffett gets in, there's people that are like, he knows what he's doing. And sometimes the buying can sustain for a while. I'd almost be more inclined to buy a pullback in this. Yep. Like if we got down to 29, maybe a little virus fears gets you down to 28, 28 and a half again, maybe a strike. So I'm more biased to actually buy this, but I'm not going to buy it up 6%. But if we pull back for whatever reason, I'd be interested. Uh, boy, you busted out over 29. There was multiple highs there from late December, early January, and that would have been the area just to scoop it up going through there. So I think I'd be more inclined maybe to wait to come back to that $29 area, 28 and a half, 29. I, I like that place, but uh, Lisa's been doing the Myers delivery. So she's been on. Myers is awesome. Myers always been awesome. Yep. Yep. That Myers delivery uh has been overruling my extra buying at Kroger's. So so uh, here's the full list here I got. Uh so he increased it we covered this his two new stakes, Kroger, yep. Biogen, and the ETFs. Increased his stake in GM, Occidental Petroleum, 
R.H. Suncor. He's sticking with that GM, huh? He's been with that GM forever. He's been with GM for a while. Value stock, Joel. And, and he you did- know what, though? Eventually, GM's going to have the electric cars, too. I mean, don't think it's not all going electric. I mean, GM and Ford aren't just going to stand around and watch Tesla take the whole market. There's competition coming for Tesla eventually, too, which is, you know, it's got to be a concern when you start talking about the ridiculous valuations that Tesla's trading at. I'm not in GM and Ford. I want to start to, like, let them prove it before I start to really get interested in these things. But I I can see a case where, you know, just to think that they're going to just die because we're going full electric, I just don't think that's the case. I think when we look at GM 10 years from now, the majority of their cars are going to be electric, don't you? Yep. And another they talked bullet- about it. I mean, they've talked about having 20 electric cars. Like, how, they've got a few out there now. Yep. And another bullish thing for uh, Cadillac GM brand is uh, Dana moved over from strategy and analysis to Buick over to the Cadillac brand. So look for a big bump in, in uh, <laughs> nice. Let's drill strategy and analysis in the, the Cadillac brand. Wait, now, I, I, I want to finish going through Buffett's thing. Sure. Um, yeah. So he decreased his stakes in um, Apple, Bank America, Wells Fargo, uh, Bank of New York, Goldman Sachs, American Airlines. That's interesting because he owns four airline stocks, and the only one whose stake was lowered last quarter was American Airlines. And he also lowered his stakes in Philip 66 and Travelers. Um, so the American Airlines – trader now. So that's me. trading. Um, uh, AAL stood out to me because he did not touch his stakes in Delta, Southwest, and United. And also he kept his uh, – he didn't do anything with the Kraft Heinz, which I was watching because I'm – in that one. Uh, so I, I, I've been waiting for it too. You just yeah. keep waiting to see him. If he ever liquidates that, that thing's going to oh. fall 10% the day he liquidates. Yeah. I mean, it falls 10% anyways, just on Friday, just for fun. But <laughs> you know what? He's, know. His cost basis might be zero in that. You know, he's been. I, in, well, uh, he, well, he took a private and then brought it back. Yeah. So remember, he took the whole thing private. So I don't know how that all works with your cost basis, but you know, then he spun it back off. I mean, Kraft Heinz was bought by Warren Buffett, was it not originally? I was, but yeah, it was Buffett that bought it originally, and then he brought it back public. Yeah. So, yep. Uh, it says here that Berkshire's cost basis in KHG is 30, 30 bucks a share. Really? So, so overall, he's down in it now. So if you're yeah. grabbing it from there. I mean, the stock has just been an epic disaster. I don't know what turns this around. I don't know if it can turn around. Um, you know, the stock's got a 6% cent dividend again, but it had a 6% dividend when it was at 50, and then they cut the dividend. So, I mean, it's a 26. Um, you know, obviously, I don't own it. I know, you know, you, you say you own it too, Spencer? I, I yeah. Oh, yeah. Small, 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 small. Yeah. I mean, it sucks. And you know what? Everybody gets stuck in their long-term portfolio with some dogs, and this one's been a dog. I almost got stuck with you, Joel. I just took the loser when it went I did. I, I dumped that one, remember? I told you I dumped that at the end of 18, a little tax. Are you out of it? So you're out of it too? Yeah. Yep. I'm out of that, out of that page. It's been too much of a dog. I mean, I had it. I, I bought the thing originally at 60, and then it was like, I, I think I actually it just chopped around there for a bit, and I just didn't like that it wasn't getting away from it, and I ended up selling it. I think I actually somehow made a little bit of money on it, and just luckily. And then it's 50, 40, 30. And I never got back in on the long-term account. And, um, you know, it's hard. It's hard to just say this is the bottom. You're calling bottoms, it lost a lot of money. And, you know, obviously, you know, you, it's just a type of chart where, you know, if you're, if you're buying this thing, you're absolutely trying to call the bottom. It's a tough, tough gig. It's funny because it's, it's if you look at the, uh, the weekly, I bought right around there when it was going up. It was going up. I'm like, okay, here we go. Looking good. Looking good. Not so much. 
So I, it was okay, yeah, it gives you a little bit of life. It starts to show a yeah. little life, and then death comes again. It seems like for KFC. Yep, that's what happened to me. All right, so we tough stock. Do I do some earnings? No, I want to do Tesla. Tesla, gotta talk Tesla. Yeah, you gotta have Tesla. You know, we get that in always before our guests. The stock that beats all stocks. Market goes up, Tesla goes up. Market goes down, Tesla goes up. I mean, it pulls back, does a bloody offering, and the stock rallies sixty bucks. And what we said was, and I warned everybody on Friday because the stock was trading down in the pre-market at seven eighty-seven, and the offering price was seven sixty-seven. And I said, I do not think it's going to trade seven sixty-seven today. And I believe. I said, I would not be surprised if this thing goes green. Lo and behold, it's exactly what happened. The buyers came in, the thing went green. It did pull back a couple of times, but overall it held up very well. Now you get analysts coming in. Anybody who's playing that from the offering perspective is now caught short again. It just likes to rock the shorts. So, and you know, just to you know, clarify, when they do an offering, what the herbs do, and you know, if you're if you've got if you're in on the offering, you're good to go. So what the herbs basically do is, you know, they're participating in the offering. They get the allocation at 767. They short the stock against it at 787 or 790, whatever they can in the pre-market. That's what puts pressure on it. There's people who don't get the allocation though and are gambling that there's going to be more pressure as I actually get that stock that will bring it down further. So there'll be people that come in and actually short it at 790, 795 when there's a 767 on the table, thinking that that 767 will act like a magnet. That's a textbook play. Tesla is not a textbook stock, though. It does, you know, what it wants to do. And we know that. And this was a classic short squeeze to anybody who was playing it without getting the allocation. So you're going to squeeze all those guys again, too, guys and girls. So now you're up another 38 points. Those people are all murdered, you know, that were playing it from that perspective. So how, the stock just <clears throat> seems like it can't be stopped. I think eventually it's over a thousand bucks because why not? Um, you know, now you're going to resolve yourself to the upside. You've been kind of in consolidation station for five, six days. You got people who are possibly caught short after the offering here. I just think this is a stock that is very hard to make money on the short side. Valuation hasn't made sense for a long time. Valuation doesn't matter. Logic doesn't matter. What matters is price momentum. This thing's going to start getting it going again, I think. Uh, all right. Do you want to give the, uh, what the analyst has to say? A couple this morning, the most notable is probably Morgan Stanley. He's, he's super influential on this stock. I mean, he's the one, Adam Jonas, he's got the, his bull case, his bear case, his base case. And he's raising uh, the price target on his bull case to $1,200. And the uh, Bernstein analyst is raising his price target to 730 So we're, you know, we're way above that. But um, so analysts are playing, and Calvin is out too this morning. They're all playing catch up here. Where are all the analyst price targets? Do you have them all in front of you? Because there's more coming. There. I mean, think about how many analysts probably don't have a $1,200 price target on this thing. Where are they? Let's bring up the ratings on Tesla. I'll do it as uh, well. My pro here. The nice thing about pro is you can just go grab it all. I don't have much information on this. Uh, the the Cowan analyst that made a, a move today. But uh, on January 16th, Adam Jonas downgraded uh, Tesla from equal weight to underweight, but yeah. he raised his target from 250 to 360. Well, he's, the, well, he's got three price targets. So and now, now he's coming yeah. out a month later? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to get my contrarian head on, but if you would have done the opposite of what he did on the 16th today, you would have had one hell of a trade. The stock was at 515 then. So I don't know. Uh, hands off on this one, but. Just based on uh, Apple's only yep. down five bucks now, too. By the way, yep, five fifty. Can you believe this market? I mean, we just got done telling uh, it was three fifteen when we started the show, and this market is just unbelievable. It's only down five bucks. It the markets the, the you think, I, I think the market's going to go green today. 
I seriously think the market's going to go. You green. think the market's going to go green today? It's the most irrational market I've ever seen in my life. Think about when Apple warned at the beginning of 2018. Think about when they warned at the beginning of 2018. Think about that day. Think about how the tech stocks were all ruined that day. Think about Apple, you know, and obviously it came back right back. But at the beginning of 2018, Apple was down like five, six, seven bucks. You know, it was $140. It's down five, six, seven percent on that warning. You know, and here it is down 1.7%, down only $5. Again, you know, reading the tea leaves here, we've seen, we saw Carnival and RCL both were warned. Stocks sell off and then come back a significant amount. I'm Nike. not. Nike I'm, warns. I'm, I'm Nike warns. Gonna... Nike's making new highs. They shrugged the Nike off within hours. Apple warns here. The thing got down to 310. Again, if you're selling this thing down $15, you're not watching what the tape has been doing lately. The tail of the tape has just been buying the dip. If you're selling the dip, you're on the wrong side of the trade. So 310 this morning. It's 319 here now. We have definitely seller's remorse here. You might see that 323. You might see that 323 today. You might see that 323. I'm not saying go out and buy Apple here now. It's come all the way back. But what resilience. I mean, this was a significant warning. Maybe it was expected, but it's still a warning. And here, you know, you got the S&Ps now down only 0.28%. The bloody market's probably going to go green. It's just, how do you fight it? Well, Nothing makes sense, but it doesn't matter. You just got to go with the flow. I mean, it, it keeps staying long until the technicals tell you not to. Also, uh, lowered expectations to beat next quarter for Apple, right? They bring the bar down and then. Oh, it- yeah. There you go, Joel. Now you're. Th- oh, oh, they're bringing the bar down on all these companies, lower guidance. The st- stocks will rally on the lowered guidance. You know, in Nike's case, it lowered, you know, it was warning. And, you know, obviously, you know, it's stocks significantly higher. So now the bar is even set lower. And then, and then if, if we don't have good earnings, then, you know, you just cut interest rates by a full point. You go negative point one, you know, 1%. And then once all the bears throw in the towel, once I throw in the towel, because I've been bearish here, obviously, you know, I'm still trading from the long side. And I talk about, you know, we talk about trading against your bias. And I've been trading against my bias. I hate trading against my bias. I hate having a feeling that I think this market is, you know, due for a significant pullback, but I have to be long because the tape is telling me to be long. Um, and that's what I'm doing, you know, as my trading portfolio, it's, you know, you, you can't fight it, but it is just incredible. The resilience in this market is not looking at China whatsoever. It's like China doesn't matter. I don't understand why I can't fathom why, but it just doesn't seem to matter. They're going to see this Apple warning as they're going to see this Apple warning as, okay, well, yeah, we knew it was going to come. And that's what the media is going to say. Well, you knew this was going to come. Okay, well, you know, why wasn't the stock selling off beforehand then, if you knew this was going to come? Anyways, it's come right back. to so much of it makes sense, and it doesn't make sense what, at the same time. What movie Nothing is that? Uh, it just doesn't matter. You guys, your movie quotes and stuff. It just doesn't matter. What movie is that from? I don't know. Is yeah, this from the 50s, matter. Joel? No. It just doesn't I've matter. I've mentioned it before. I worked at the camp where it was filmed. Oh, yeah, he did mention this. Oh, this, this came up like six months ago. Uh, it just doesn't. I don't. I'm not going to get it. Meatballs. What is it? Meat- oh, meatballs. That's a he's, good movie too. He's, he's mentioned that before. Okay. <laughs> the only movie quote I know. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. It's a good quote for this market, Joel. It's right. It just doesn't matter. Let's go. Let's go get our guest. Yeah. All right. Let's bring on our first guest of the day, Eric Kroll. He is the uh, founder at Kroll Asset Management, also co-author of the Life Cycle Trade. Joining us now on Pre-Market Prep, Eric. Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing this morning, Eric? I'm doing great. How about you guys? 
Doing okay, doing okay. So uh, you are a follower of the IPO market here. We've had you on a few times on the show, so we thought get you back on. Uh, in light of this, all these coronavirus fears, yeah. uh, what is the general sentiment in the IPO market right now? As it doesn't appear to be a super stable time in the market to be uh, IPOing. It, it seems like the IPO market has gone a little cold. Um, we, there were a lot of big name IPOs that came out last year. There aren't too many coming uh, up on the calendar right now. So it seems like in terms of IPOs, uh, in terms of new material, there's not many new ones in line. Uh, but we've had some pretty good action on a fair number of them from last year. Uh, and like what? Well, for example, uh, a couple of stocks we'll get to talk about, but I'm seeing some action like in DocuSign, um, Virgin Galactic uh, looks like a, a potential. We, we got to talk Virgin Galactic. Let's just stop you right ship. there. <laughs> Let's stop you right there, Eric, <laughs> because this Virgin Galactic is in blast off mode. It's up another 13% here today. Market it, goes it, down, crazy. this goes up. This has been an unbelievable stock. I mean, in 2020, this stock started the year at 12 bucks. It's 33. You're talking about a stock up almost 200% in the last month and a half. What are yeah, your thoughts it, here? Is this, is this run sustainable? Um, the, the, the run like this is not sustainable, but what I expect and I hope to see is that it goes sideways for a little while, uh, for some sort of consolidation and then breaks off from there. And you would say that's a high tight flag. Um, but typically like I would say this acts like an IPO, even though it was a merger back in October 29th and it's certainly acting like it's in its IPO advanced phase and what we would call it, it looks like a rocket ship. And when you look at it, you say, okay, if you didn't buy it right, this is no time to buy now. You need some sort of consolidation or correction. And then if it sets up and breaks out again, then it would be a good time to buy. Um, but I mean, typically four, an IPO dance like this is not sustainable. Like four or five days ago when it was in consolidation station, it broke out through 20. I mean, the breakouts, we've been talking about breakouts for 2018 to 2019 and breakouts were not working. I will tell you in 2020, they have been working to a certain extent and a, and a lot of, on some of these IPOs. And this SPCE was a classic breakout at $20. And boom, here you are five days later and the thing's trading 32 and a half. I mean, yeah. holy mackerel, that's a breakout and a half. I agree with you, Dennis. The, the breakouts are working much better this year so far. Well, you know, one, one reason is because maybe people won't worry about the coronavirus in, in space, right? We said that. <laughs> no coronavirus. Until somebody gets this thing on one of the rocket ship tours, and then they're like, uh-oh, we just brought it to space. <laughs> yeah. Eric, so let's jump into a few of these other ones here. Um, you know, first, if you want, if you have some on your radar, you know, we can talk those as well. But we've got a list that we want to talk to about as well. Well, why don't we show the list of the best IPOs of the last year? Yeah, yeah, do that. I think that he's talking to me. Yeah, Spencer, that's your cue. Yeah, that's my <laughs> <laughs> He's okay. bringing up the list here right now, Eric. So, there okay. Yeah, so you've got a few, like you characterize the IPO, uh, the post-IPO life uh, as a, a life that occurs in cycles, right? And, and in I, phases. I, in phases, mm -hmm. right. And uh, hence the life cycle. Uh, but I want to get to a few uh, stocks after the, we get to this chart that are uh, in the advanced phase right now that you think could be going higher. But the, the, this right. is just a list here of the best performing IPOs of the last, what, is it two years? Yeah, the last two years. And what's to me most interesting is many of them are in the medical, biomedical, biotech uh, field. And then the rest are mostly computer software where internet and you have maybe one or two sprinkled in there like you see one that's uh, um, 
the, the REITs, which and I don't invest too much in REITs, and then one insurance. But for the most part, they've been computer, internet related, and medical biotechs. Now, medical biotechs are hard to play. I, I frankly don't get into them very often at all because it usually is so um, erratic and based on some, you know, um, FDA approvals or um, some sort of phase one trial or phase two and all those things. But if you look at it, um, you can see that in general, again, there's only 20 IPOs out of 354 that have gone up at least in a trading of 100% above their day one close as of now um, that are also liquid. So in general, the main message we always have is there aren't too many IPOs that do really well that are liquid that we can trade. But there are plenty in here that have been good. Um, like if you look down the list, um, you can see things like this GSX uh, Tech uh, Education, that's a Chinese uh, internet related education platform. And with coronavirus, maybe there's a big demand for people to learn from home, right? And then you look at uh, Anaplan, uh, Smartsheet, Billy Billy, uh, DocuSign, and a few others, um, and Avalara at the bottom. Uh, these are all good internet related content uh, and uh, uh, software service type of companies that are something you could really needy and can trade enough liquidity that you could really invest in. I, I want to get to a couple uh, names that that could be uh, advancing here. So let's let's pull. You have doc, you highlighted DocuSign specifically as being in the I guess what is this like a late bloomer? Yes, I, we I look at it as a late bloomer. You can see it wrote, uh, came out from its IPO uh, around the forty dollar on the far left of the chart there and advanced up. It had an unusual double, like double top IPO advance phase and then it corrected went all the way down and undercut its IPO day one close and day one low. Uh, started to rise again in the early 2019, formed a base. I would say maybe that uh, looks like maybe a double bottom base and then it broke out. It ran into trouble near its old highs and we call that the turbulent zone and then it took off. So we think it's in the institutional advance phase and it, you probably, if you don't have it already, you've missed it. It's, or at least you don't, you have to wait for some sort of consolidation now before you can buy again but it looks like it's off and running and it has the characteristic of a long-term super stock that's right now in a strong institutional advance phase. And we believe you can trade the IPO advance phase, like the beginning part, the double top, uh, and then the really you really wanna get in is this institutional advance phase. Uh, but luckily, um, there's some uh, another stock that looks like it's setting up and getting ready. Before we move on to that, you mentioned a consolidation phase. Now, we talk about different time frames on our show. We cover the pre-market, the after hours. We try to go dailies, weeklies, and monthlies. What, what to you would be, uh, in a stock like this, would be a valid consolidation phase? I see going back a week or so, maybe 8, 10, 12 days. Uh, what's your time frame for a valid consolidation? When I talk consolidation, I look at uh, weekly charts, and I have to see consolidations that are five weeks, seven weeks, uh, 15 weeks, 20 weeks, those kind of uh, phases. And when we look at the institutional due diligence phase, we're looking at six months to 18 months. So DocuSign, um, it was, I think, uh, started to uh, uh, advance back, like uh, it started to consolidate back in August and now it broke out. So you're looking at a long-term, uh, at least six month consolidation phase before it starts institutional advance. All right, let's give a couple more IPOs that could potentially break out here, and I'll pull them up on the screen. Uh, Redfin and, oh no, well yeah, Redfin, that's the one. breaking out, yep. Yeah, um, we, it's, it's good, to, you know, interesting to talk about IPOs that have done well, uh, but it doesn't do any investors any good if you've missed it. 
And you know, showing DocuSign uh, illustrates a pattern that we recognize. But again, if you don't have it already, you've missed it. But here's one Redfin. Um, it started off, it really didn't have a strong institutional advance phase. If you see the chart on the left, uh, it started, you know, its first week, it had a price range from just under 20 to 22, and then quickly jumped up over 32. And then a long, slow, choppy decline. And you can see that it, it continued to go on down. And that chart on the left is what I showed the last time I was on your show uh, and on December 9th. And I said, you know, maybe that was ready uh, for its institutional advance phase, right? Like, like it was finishing the due diligence. And the chart on the right, you can see that I think it did uh, complete uh, its institutional due diligence phase. And it's right now in the turbulence zone. I'd love to see the stock bounce around a couple weeks here, form some sort of consolidation, um, and then break above in heavy volume above the old uh, highs of the second week. And then I would say that's the beginning of the institutional advance phase. So this is one we're able to keep on the radar and look for some consolidation continuing here in the turbulent zone. And then I would look for a heavy volume breakout, and that would be a chance to buy a stock that's ready for institutional advance. And then one more here. I want to get your thoughts on Uber. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, the, this was one of the most famous uh, IPOs of all time, right? And you look at the, uh, it was, to me, it looked like it was a pump and dump. Um, it had a lot of hype. I mean, CNBC had, you know, a special box in the corner for the stock that day. Everybody was talking about Uber. We all knew about Uber was going public. And then it, it immediately started to drop. And then from there, uh, Uber went all the way down, undercut its uh, um, IPO um, day one uh, prices. It corrected 44%. And now look at the nice advance it's had. And it's forming a, what would look like, sure, a deep cup. And uh, it hasn't yet reached the turbulent zone. And what I'd like to see is the stock maybe either consolidate here, form some sort of handle, then break out in heavy volume. And at that point, I'd expect it to stall in the turbulent zone. Or um, maybe it continues to rise into the turbulent zone, and then it stalls, and then it would break out. Uh, the chart on the right is the classic pump and dump pattern, and that's Facebook. And doesn't it look a lot like Facebook, where it didn't have very much chance to advance at all in the front, way undercut its IPO uh, first week prices, and then consolidate for a, a fairly long time. Facebook consolidated 18 months. Uh, Uber's only really consolidated here maybe six, seven months. But still, uh, I don't argue with timing as much as I'd love to see Uber on the left there consolidate a little bit more and then break out in heavy volume. So this is one where we would like to see it finish its due diligence phase and then start the institutional advance possibly. All right, Eric Kroll is the founder of- One more. Oh, one more. Smile Direct Club. Yeah, I, don't yeah, know. Yeah, so I was saying the same oh, thing, Smile right. Direct. Yep, yep, and bad dabbing. Up, 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 up. I'm not sure what happened. Then it got killed, it's trying to come back. What are your thoughts on this one, SDC? Well, when, uh, when we first talked, I think it was, we, we actually talked on the day it came out and uh, it got slammed. This is also looks like a classic pump and dump and it came down really hard. But lately, you know, near the bottom, they started to consolidate and it's had a nice advance. It had a terrible day on Friday, but maybe if it can start to consolidate a little bit more and then break out, this would be a buy. It would be, you know, still below the turbulent zone, but potentially like a, a stage one breakout that you could buy, expect trouble at the old high, and then hopefully another consolidation and then take off from there. Um, I don't know um, how it's going to do, but it's interesting. They're trying to break. Uh, you know, the, the pattern, uh, not pattern, but the in the industry they're in with uh, braces and things like that, 
uh, where you do a lot of it at home. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if that's something that takes off. Will, will people actually trust it where you can go to a Walgreens? I think it was either Walgreens or CVS, or they can, you can have them make your impressions and then they send it in or you can do it at home. Uh, we'll see what the, uh, um, you know, what kind of appetite people have for doing a lot of the work themselves. Uh, small direct love for whatever it's worth was the subject of a uh, pretty negative uh, piece on NBC last, late last week with regards to, um, I, I think, uh, uh, their products not being used correctly by was that the sell-off. Um, it it was a Thursday evening segment. Okay. Yeah, so that would be the Friday sell-off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that that wouldn't surprise me. I, I once had impressions done for my teeth. See how good they look. Um, and one of the <laughs> nice. times they they did it at home. I not at home. They did it in the office, and the impressions they took didn't work out. And that was done by a trained dentist. So I mean, I can't imagine somebody doing it at home and thinking they're going to get it right the first time. Yeah. So. Maybe some lawsuits, I think, farther on down the potentially, line on that, right? Potentially, yeah. All right, Eric Kroll from Kroll Asset Management. Thanks so much for joining us, Eric, and have a great week. Uh, rest of the week, not weekend. Oh, thank you. It's always great to see you guys. All right. Thanks, Eric. A uh, couple of headlines while Eric was on with us. Uh, PCG reported, or PG&E reported earnings, and uh, they're not going to have a conference call. They are still on track uh, for their uh, their have their bankruptcy plan confirmed by the end of June. And um, Pier 1 Imports is going to be delisted off of the New York Stock Exchange. It's gone. It's finally gone, Pier 1. You have Nice suspending trading immediately, and they're going to commence. Yeah, not trading here this morning either. So Pier 1 is off the board. It's been a long time coming, Pier 1 off the board. What's the all-time high? Just, you know, so we have to reverse split so many times. You got the all-time high, Joel, and Pierre? Uh, Let's see here. It's the last time we have to talk about it, so. Okay. um, 528.80. That was the all-time high? Yep. That was in uh, November 2003. And uh, I'm not going to tell now, but I I have the greatest braces story ever. Not Uh Did you have braces when you were a kid? No. No. My sister did, though. When she oh, was so really you, young and she yeah. was chasing me around the house or something and I don't know, trying to beat me up and I was running, I was running and running and I kind of ditched out right on the couch and she tripped and went into the wall and like hit her teeth and like her braces were hanging on her lips and everything and That's- my mom was screaming at me. This You're, doesn't sound like a nice story. No, no, it's a good ending. So, I, <laughs> so, my mom, so my mom, she's bleeded from the mouth and everything. My mom takes her to the dentist, and the dentist takes the braces off and says, um, her teeth are fixed. She doesn't need braces anymore. They're fixed? Yeah. All right. So it's a wall. So it's just fixed on the wall. So that's all you had to do is go run into the wall and straightens your teeth right out. Yeah. yeah it's so. a business model there, Joel. There's a braces story. All right, eight fifty-two here. Let's get to Walmart. We have Walmart. Not. Walmart had earnings. A couple. Did Walmart hours. have earnings. Yeah, I know. You, you, <laughs> you almost would. You'd be excused for not knowing that, but they did have earnings this morning, and it's been a long time warning. So the report wasn't great. Their EPS missed, and their sales missed. Well, you're in the forgiving environment. They they said their EPS miss was due to uh, a disruption in Chile, and there was a lawsuit, but they didn't specify what it was. Uh, and their comps for the quarter, U.S. comps, were up 6%. Well, that's a good number. On a year-over-year basis, that is a good number. They're raising their dividend by a penny from $0.53 cents to $0.54 cents per share, and they they gave a few other projections, but nothing. E-commerce sales growth to range yeah. between mid-20 to 30%. That sounds pretty good, too. Yeah, yeah. What so, they say about the coronavirus? Uh, what do they say about the coronavirus? They said it will. From the conference call. 
They said it will uh, temper their expectations for the year, which okay. So they gave a little coronavirus warning, which yeah. the market need any uh, of that. They said a majority of their stores in China have reduced hours, so that would impact um, the EPS with uh, by a couple of cents. In, in the couple, so they're only sending a couple cents. So not not a huge deal for them. And obviously, that's why you're seeing the stock respond quite well here this morning. So it didn't say too much bad about the coronavirus. The quarter wasn't great, but the comps were pretty good. Dividend up a little bit there. And the e-commerce sales growth is growing nicely at 20 to 30%. That all adds up to a little bit of a rally here. I'd say you got some 120. This is a tough one, Joel. I mean, we, this has been a tough one. You know, I haven't made a lot of calls here at all because obviously I trade a lot on Logic and Logic hasn't worked here lately. So, I, I, you know, I'm kind of sitting here and obviously I'd still do an efficiency trading and, you know, I'll still trade different things. But it's been a tough market just, you know, he's put on a swing trade and say, you know, I like this chart. I think it's going higher because you got the risk of a headline, you know, like an Apple headline brings you down. But, you know, Walmart, it's, it's holding up here. I think as long as it stays above the close, it's interesting. Yeah, this, it is a tough one because I'm looking at this November 14th when it had this, that blowout report and it just went up, blasted off, made a new all-time high. It has never come back down uh, or come back near that level. Uh, let's see. We're trading up uh, 73 cents and 118.62. 120. I'll, I'll call that a potential target. I'm not sure where I would buy it, but if I was long it, I'd look for that 120 uh, going back to the end of December 1985, 1994, 1981, 1980, 1989. So you did just pierce through it in a pre-market. That's an upside target um, if you're playing Walmart on the long side. But nice break consolidation here. Uh, 120, I think, could be an easy target. We're coming into retail earnings season, so we're going to see a number of retailers reporting here coming up. Walmart kind of kicks it off, and so it's going to be interesting as we get into the retailers. Who do we have this week, Spencer? Is there a few more on the docket? Yeah, I, to be honest, I haven't looked ahead. Yeah, well, we have uh, I we have uh, Lazy Boy is today actually. That's retail technically, but not what, not what you had in mind. Uh, I haven't looked ahead too too far. Sorry. I think uh, a little okay. bit, I see Best Buy is not until the 27th. I think there's a few this week. We've, we've got the retailers coming, so yep. we're going to hear from a number of retailers. Uh, I want to talk to the semiconductor stocks here. They are trading sure. uh, down across the board here. That can be attributed to a headline. That, in the wake of the coronavirus, uh, the U.S. is weighing trade restrictions on China that will limit the use of American Ship equipment. So while they're down, eh? Yeah, Micron. Uh, <laughs> I was just going to say, they're down. M Research, <laughs> Nvidia, Qualcomm. It's tough. They're having a tough time over there. Let's throw some trade restrictions on them too. Oh, okay. Anyways, uh, Micron getting hit on this down two point three percent. What are the other chips? They're all down. Yep, pretty much. Applied materials Nvidia. down four. Wow, applied materials. That's a big hit. And applied but, materials. If you were chasing that on earnings, e. Lamb Research, well. Lamb Research 2, down 4%. Yeah, oh, that's a big fall for LRCX. Yep. I don't know. I sold my Micron. I think I might have took the high almost there on that one, Joel. I got lucky on that. That upgrade that day. I was like, yeah, I'm fading them. That's when, so that, I that's sold when out. it turned last time is when everyone thought yeah. it was going Everybody to got too dang bullish. That's when you bought so, it. 
And now you got all those. I just don't like all the highs. I didn't like that area. This was a pure technical long-term sell. I didn't like all the highs from back in 2018 up in the 60s. That's where the analysts got bullish. So it seems like every time this thing gets over 60, it finds an excuse to sell off. The business is cyclical. You know, obviously, we don't know yep. where we are in the cycle. Maybe the cycle continues for a while. Maybe there is more upside on this. Uh, but the reason I sold it was, you know, I'm in a little bit of selling mood just because I'm still spooked about the coronavirus, but more technical, just got up there to resistance and I'm like, I feel like lightening up. Same reason I lighten up my square too. Did I lighten up my square? Isn't that funny? You got the long-term portfolio. I have so many stocks in there. I was thinking about lightening up square. I'm not sure if I actually did it or not. I was talking about lightening up at 82. I was going to sell half of it. Somebody in the chat said, sell half if you don't know. I was like, that's a good idea. I don't remember, though, if I sold yeah, that. That's got good ideas. Uh, yeah, I was like, that's a good idea. Sell half. You, don't, you don't actually remember if you did. Uh, I don't. I don't remember if I sold half or not. I'm going to have to go look. <laughs> I still own some square. I for sure still own some. But Micron, I sold it all. Micron, I'm out. 56.80. Pre-market low. Only 30 cents off that. So I don't think that 56.80 is going to hold up here. Uh, next area of support comes in in the lower 56 handles. So take out that pre-market low, your four and five day lows, 56.20, 56.33. Call that all the 56 and a quarter. Just kind of we're bouncing, but not enough. Not doesn't seem like you have aggressive buyers. Being a little bit more patient. If you do get a rally, you're looking for a gap fill bottom of yesterday's range, 58.26. All right, Dennis, did we cover all your lists? Uh, yeah, you got it pretty good. Um, good. We Kroger, Biogen, yeah. So we talked the, the Buffett stocks. We talked the Apple warning. I mean, we didn't cover the suppliers for Apple, which I was going to do. But, I mean, Apple's bounced back quite a bit here now. But, uh, obviously, if you're trading the suppliers, that's going to be an issue here as well. You can look at Broadcom, AVGO. You can look at SWKS. Expect some relative weakness there because Apple is down significantly, and that's obviously going to put a, a damper on the suppliers as well. All right, agency, balances. Yeah. Let's just quickly look at those. We haven't looked at these for a while. There are actually quite. There's quite a few here to the south side, significant to the south side. General Motors, two hundred twenty-one thousand to sell. GE, three hundred seventy-eight thousand to sell. Coca-Cola, two hundred sixty-seven thousand to sell. It's interesting because you're seeing some of the discretionary stocks actually show some significant sell imbalances this morning. Procter Gamble, too, one hundred forty-three thousand to sell. Some of these open too low might be an opportunity. Wells Fargo, 268,000 to sell. AT&T, 222,000 to sell. Taiwan Semiconductor is ugly. That's probably with the chip wreck. 229,000 to sell in uh, Taiwan Semiconductor. Going the other way, we do have a buy balance in Kroger. We talked about why. That's the Buffett play, 240,000 to buy in KR. So we got a few sell balances out there, though, Joel. So it's not like they're just shrugging it off, you know, and, and the S&P futures have ride a little bit off the lows. But there's some sell balances that could hold down the open. All right, uh, I'm looking for the S&Ps. If we do get a bounce, actual mid-range on the session, does it come in to 76, 75, pre-market low 61 and a quarter. So we will keep an eye, an eye on that uh, for the week. Really keeping an eye, though, on this uh, 3350 area. That was the area of Thursday's low. Had a low and a close earlier in the week on that. So trying to rebound. Spencer, we got a, we got another guest today. We do. So I'm going to say goodbye to Dennis, though, if he wants to stick around, he can. And I'm going to say hello to our second guest of the day, Stephen Ehrlich. He is the CEO of Voyager, a cryptocurrency uh, trading platform. Steve, uh, good morning. Uh, let me unmute you there. Let's try that again. Good morning, Steve. As I fiddle with my... He's got some snow. Wait, yeah. 
Got some snow. Good morning. Hey, can you hear me now? We can. How are we doing? Good. How are you guys doing? Good. So if you follow the uh, cryptocurrency space, our listeners, you may have heard of that last week. Uh, Voyager acquired Circle Invest. Uh, congratulations on that deal, Steve. And tell us a little bit about the, the genesis and, and why. Uh, that's, uh, we're really excited by that deal. Uh, we've been working with the Circle folks for a while. We know them well. Uh, our platform uh, works very well for the Circle consumers and will migrate them over by the end of March. So they'll be using the best of breed uh, agency trading platform for digital assets uh, where we have 33 coins. They're getting an upgrade on their platform, but we're taking some of the functionality that they have and imparting it into our platform. It's a really exciting time for, for Circle customers, for the Voyager customers, Voyager shareholders, as we scale out our business and really become the leader in agency brokerage for <laughs> cryptocurrency. All right, uh, Steve, it's a good day to have you on. After a long weekend, we have, uh, it seems like we pay, at least on, on this show, closest attention to cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in and around long weekends here. And we, we've noticed in the past that uh, it tends to rally, Bitcoin tends to rally into long weekends. Not the case this weekend. First of all, have you noticed that, that same thing? We do. We talk about that quite frequently on our own desk here. Uh, that into the long weekends, we usually get a bump. Uh, but as you noted, ooh, we got the complete opposite this weekend. Any insights into why that tends to happen? Uh, no, but I think, Pete, you know, uh, the only thing I would lend to say is that uh, people have a little bit more time uh, over the weekend. They're looking at things differently. And, you know, we see, we see a, usually a little bit of an uptick in volume too when we head into the weekend. So, uh, you know, I think people just pay more, a little bit more attention to it when they go into the weekend because it's one of the few things you could actually trade over the weekend. Right, right. Uh, and looking beyond uh, Bitcoin here, obviously Voyager uh, does more than just Bitcoin. There's all, there's all sorts of cryptocurrencies. Uh, explain to us uh, or give us a sense of what the general sentiment is uh, about various cryptos from inside the industry. Yeah, you know, it's uh, when you see Bitcoin go down like this, you know, we trade, like I mentioned, 33 different coins today. Uh, we tend to see more people go to some of the altcoins and start trading that because we saw a pop in a few of the different coins over the weekend. Uh, EOS was one that's been up quite a bit over a week. Our own coin, the Voyager token, was up 30% uh, since the Circle announcement. So that got a lot of play over the weekend. Uh, Bitcoin Cash, we saw a little uptick over the weekend as well. So people tend to, to, when they see Bitcoin uh, decrease in price, they tend to, to sell off on Bitcoin and go into something else. Uh, we're, and that's when you see a big uptick in the altcoins. And we've seen that over this weekend. Uh, is the market becoming more institutionalized in any way? Uh, I don't think it's there yet. I think there are a lot of people that do think it's an institutional uh, market is coming. Uh, I think you see some big buys and, you know, and sells there. But when you think of an institutional market, you think of the deep, deep, deep liquidity that you see in the equities and options markets. And we haven't seen that yet. It's still a very much a retail play. It's a great retail play uh, for consumers because they're not getting out, uh, outplayed by the bots and the auto trading systems that come and play in the equities and options market. It's a great play. It, it's kind of a more level playing field, actually. Right. And, and you made the migration yourself. You're a a Wall Street guy, you you ran Lightspeed, uh, and you migrated over to crypto yourself. I did a couple of years ago, and I saw what was happening in the equity space. Where uh, you know, I ran the largest day trading firm in the U.S. Lightspeed. We were doing four hundred fifty thousand trades a day at one point. 
but once the bots and once the auto traders got a hold of the market, uh, you know, the retail investor and the active traders really had, had to struggle and their time horizons increased, which pushed me towards the crypto market because it's very fragmented and gives consumers an opportunity to make money where they didn't have that anymore really in the equity market. We saw, but my later days of Lightspeed, we had guys that would trade a million shares uh, a month that went down to trading 200,000 shares a month. There wasn't the opportunity anymore. And there is still in crypto. We're on the line with Steve Ehrlich, Chief Executive Officer at Voyager. Steve, I just want to talk to you about uh, the Bitcoin futures at the Mercantile Exchange. SIBO uh, abandoned their product and uh, the Merc has seen the benefit. I know it's a fully margin product but uh to me like when i when i look at um a trading instrument i like to look at i look at the volume i like to look at volume patterns in this case open interest uh has been steadily rising but what you have i've seen in the bitcoin futures here is that you know they'll bump it up to 13 14,000 15,000 you know for a couple days in a row and then all of a sudden it just drops to like 1300 or 2800 and it gets bumped up again. Uh, I don't know. To me, it just seems like, man, there just might be some real big players in the Merck. Uh, Bitcoin futures kind of taking control of the instrument. What, what's your take on the inconsistent volume in the Bitcoin futures at the CME? Oh, it's, you know, when you talk about an institutional product that is made for the institutions just because of the margin requirements. I think yep. it's 44% Fully. margin. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, you, it's not a retail product at all. So as an institution, you could really move markets uh, depending on the volume you're trading and so forth. So uh, I wish they had a Bitcoin futures product that was more retail oriented, uh, maybe a small, you know, micros and so forth, but uh, had conversations with people about that. But I think it's, that's why you see such, such movement there and such volume is it has to be traded at large volume because of the margin requirements. And then it tails off, though, we'll have three, four, five days in a row. And then it just kind of like one day I, I see it traded, you know, almost 16,000. The next day it traded 1,300. Is that uh, any, you see any uh, price significance in that? No, I don't. I just think it's, it's an inconsistency, as, as Spencer had asked me about institutions in this space. I think there's an inconsistent, inconsistency about what people are trading in the space and how many institutions are playing in this space. That's to me is, is the prime example of that. Any long-term targets here for Bitcoin or any of the other uh, uh, virtual currencies? Oh, geez. Uh, usually whatever I say, go opposite. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'm known to Fair do that. Uh, that's why anything I invest, I usually do through robo, robo products because uh, I'm just a, not a good trader. Uh, but I do believe Bitcoin uh, will be up around 20,000 or, or better by the end of the year. Uh, my target would be around 20,000. I think I, that steady increase over the year. Steve, I'm wondering, are you hearing a lot of chatter around people who are saying like, oh, I, I'm, I'm doing crypto now because I'm worried about uh, coronavirus and, and crypto really is a true, the truest form of a hedge? We do. We actually see customers and, and they email us and you can see it on Twitter and even in our Telegram where they send us messages. Uh, they do. They look at it as a little bit of a hedge uh, to what's going on in the markets. Uh, look, I think a lot of people are, are see where the markets are today and how high they are. And they're looking for hedges against that. And, uh, you know, I have conversations with people close to me and, and people are fearful of the markets, you know, are, are retracing and they go into Bitcoin. And I think it's a normal 
But I think we, we spend a lot of time, as you guys both mentioned, about Bitcoin. And I think there's a lot of you know, alternative coins that people can invest in and play on the long term. And, and one of the other things to, to bring out is that uh, it's one of the few assets that you can actually earn interest on at the same time that you can actually trade it. Uh, so it's, that's an you know, intriguing possibility for traders too. So places like us allow people to, to earn interest while you're, you're trading Bitcoin. So you can make a little bit of money, you know, take away some of the volatility, but you still have your long-term investment. You, you pay interest on the amount of U.S. dollars invested in the Bitcoin? We pay interest on the amount of Bitcoin you hold with us, USDC, so the, the stable coin equivalent to the U.S. dollars, the USDC. Okay. Uh, we pay, we're paying actually 6% interest on USDC and 5% on Bitcoin, but we don't make you lock it up, so you could actually trade it during the day and still earn interest. Wow. Didn't yeah, know that was a thing. All right. Think about your bank where you're earning, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, I'm thinking about my bank. I'm thinking about my bank. <laughs> I'm thinking about my bank. I walk past, you know, getting off the subway in New York every day. I walk past all these signs that say uh, CDs, 1.8% two-year lockup. And I yeah. just laugh. And I'm like, wow. Uh, or, you know, you have conversations with folks in Europe and, and there's negative interest rates. And, and you're like, you know, put it in my mattress. Well, put it in, uh, put it in a stable coin, you know. The interesting thing about stable coins, uh, especially the USDC coin, it's regulated by the New York State Department of Financial Services uh, in a trust bank. So it's dollar for dollar backed by uh, real hardcore cash. That's an interesting aspect. All right, Steve Ehrlich is the CEO of Voyager. You can learn more about them by going to investvoyager.com. Steve, thanks so much for, for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate right. it. Have a great day. Uh, you too, Steve. All right, that will be it for our show. I want to thank both our guests, Steve Ehrlich and Eric Kroll. You can always rewatch our show on YouTube or catch our podcast wherever you get your podcast, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or tune in. Give us a call. Leave us a voicemail, 734-494-0246, or email us, premarket at Benzinga.com. The Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference is coming up. It is, believe it or not, next week. For those of you in the greater Miami area you can learn more by going to benzingaevents.com and that's it so please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes not for investing or trading advice everyone have a great rest of your tuesday we'll be back with you tomorrow traffic jams tailgating pile-ups oh the joys of driving how could it get worse the federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.